Last week, uh, we talked about Paul in Acts 20, uh, 21 coming to Jerusalem and posed the question, did he make a mistake because uh, he was <laughs> about to get arrested just like the prophecy said. He was about to go into captivity. And uh, uh, so if you didn't hear that, you can hear that on the, uh, the podcast. But we're going to actually move forward to when he does get arrested this morning in chapters 21 and 22. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts. This is like part 20 or something. I don't know, even know how long we've been doing this. But um, we're, we're coming near the end here, and he goes to Jerusalem. We're picking it up in verse, chapter 21, verse 17. When, Paul, when we had come to Jerusalem, this is Luke talking, he was with them. The brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Everybody's super excited about what happened on Paul's missionary journey. But they also have something to tell him, okay? So they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, meaning the Torah, uh, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Pause here. Is that true? That's not actually an accurate report that everyone's been circulating. Paul had never told the Jews to abandon the law of Moses. He never told them to stop circumcising their children. He, he had told the, the new believing Gentiles that they weren't bound to do those things because uh, uh, that, that's not part of their culture. They're under Christ, not under the law, right? But the message grew and morphed into this lie, and the gist of it was, was that Paul was against Israel. He's not one of us. He's against us. Now notice this, it's less of a theological concern, and, and it was more about their Jewish identity. It was more about Jewish nationalism than anything else. Because at this point, Jerusalem had become more and more zealous. It had become extreme, actually, in their nationalistic identity. Now this had been going on for quite a while. Remember we looked at it a little bit in, in even in Passion Week when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and people are shouting Hosanna. They're thinking about their own political liberation from Rome. Well this has been 25 years and it's just gotten more extreme. And in a, about 12 or so more years, Israel's about to actually formally revolt and will get crushed by Rome. Because that's how big this sentiment was. So as these people are looking at Paul, that's, that's tied in here. All of that is tied in because you're not, you're not Israel enough, Paul. You're about all these other people. And, and so naturally the truth gets, gets twisted, doesn't it? But uh, uh, Jesus, that's why Jesus had told the people of Jerusalem. He tried to get them to put away their bloodlust and put away uh, this stuff, um, put down the sword, right? To stop seeking salvation through kings. But they hadn't heeded him and they'd gotten more extreme. So suddenly now Paul is almost like a threat to them. He's a threat to them 
by inviting Gentiles into the faith, they see him as a threat. And again, we're looking at some of the, the, the more extreme factions here. This certainly wasn't all of them. So here is their solution. They say, Paul, you're in trouble. Here's the solution. Do therefore what we tell you. This is back to Acts. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so they may, uh, that they may shave their heads. Thus we'll all know there is nothing in what they've been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance to the law. And he does this. Now, I don't want to get too much in the weeds here because this, uh, this is kind of a strange passage. And uh, scholars have had trouble with this for a while. But here, here's, it, it's, very, it's fairly clear that these four young men uh, were, were devout Christians who were Jewish, that they loved Jesus, they were very much devoted to their, culture, to their culture, to the Torah. In fact, they were going beyond that by taking a Nazarite vow. And Nazarites were, were sort of extra hardcore, really. They, they had added things, there were things like uh, uh, don't, don't drink alcohol of any kind, uh, don't cut your hair, uh, don't touch things that are dead. They're, there were different things like that. So these men had been under this vow and were now coming to the end of it. Uh, now, there was always a time to be released from the vow. They would take several days of ritual uh, purification, and then they would come before the priests, and the priests would shave their head and burn the hair on the altar, and then they would pay a fee, and now they're released from their vow. So that's what's happening here, and Paul, they're saying, Paul, I think you should join these men. Well, it doesn't appear that Paul was a Nazarite, though he did take some sort of vow in Acts 18. But it doesn't appear that he was a Nazarite, uh, but he joins them. Now, the idea that he would be walking alongside these men who were pretty hardcore, they were hoping this will show people that you are not against the Torah. You're not against Jewishness. You're, you're on uh, our side. And this will help, you know, the crowds to, like, not twist things like they have been. So Paul does that. Paul does that. He goes with them, he purifies himself for seven days, and then he appears on the day, and he pays the fee for these men as they come and bring their, their offering. Now, there's a lot of people that are very uncomfortable with this. In fact, this is, it is kind of an uncomfortable passage. Like, it sounds a little bit controversial, maybe. Like, some people have refused to think that Luke was right. Like, Paul would not have done this. He would not have gone along with this. And I get it, it seems a little out of character, um, but Paul is, Paul's this bold guy, right? You don't see him backing down from people, and you might think he's backing down here, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's what he's doing. Um, here's what I think he's doing. There's this, this wonderful section in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where Paul talks about being all things to all people. You remember that? I want to read this out of, the, uh, out of Peterson's translation, or his uh, paraphrase, in the message from the good folks at Nav Press. Uh, verse 19. Listen to this. I love this. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralists, loose-living, immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from, things from their point of view. I become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. 
I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Isn't that good? It's a really good paraphrase there. He's so committed to these people that he ministers to that he does this thing that to some will look like compromising his ideals, but he, he doesn't seem to care that much about what they think. He's like, so? So? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I think is right. He wants these people to know Jesus and to know the good news. And even though many of them have met him, there's many, many of these people that have not. And frankly, some who had are not acting like him at all. And they need to see him. So back to the action. Verse 27 of Acts 21. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Uh-oh. The plan did not work. They accused him anyway, and then it gets worse. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and had supposed Paul might have brought him into the temple. Are you kidding me? This was yet another lie. He had not brought Trophimus into the temple. He had been in the city, yes, and people had seen him together. So they had just jumped to conclusions, saying Paul brought him into a place that Gentiles weren't allowed to go, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, notice how this just perfectly fits the narrative that they want, you know. The things that they had already been pushing, right. Paul only likes Gentiles. He doesn't like Jews anymore. He, he breaks all the laws. He dishonors Moses. Yeah, it's just like Paul. Like, they're just adding to it. Got an accusation. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. It had been a while since I had read this passage slowly enough to to realize what was going on. That's pretty sweeping language. This was an extremely dangerous moment. This is a full-on riot that's going on. And... uh, It made me think again about what we've talked about as Jesus came in on Palm Sunday and the near riot that began because, man, at feast time, this was another feast time, by the way. That was Passover back then, and this time was was Pentecost. So you had thousands and thousands of of pilgrims coming from all over the empire, crowding into into the city, and tens of thousands, maybe more, coming to the temple itself on this, this massive raised platform. And, and the Romans are always worried about revolt because there's always a breath away from revolts. In fact, they've built, um, they, they, they've built this, this barracks right next, it's like a fortress, like right on the outside of the temple and they can look down into it. It's very convenient. They need to monitor, you know, it's like the fire danger thing you see. It's like revolt danger today in Jerusalem, you know, how high is it? And, uh, and so uh, they hear this going on and, uh, and, and probably look down and saw what looked like a stampede. And you see they're grabbing this man and hauling him out. This isn't a revolt, but this is very, very serious. They actually haul him out of the temple, slam the gate, probably taking him outside because they didn't want to kill him right there. But they're clearly about to kill him. So 
Here's what happens. Verse uh, 32. As they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune uh, of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He's the commander, okay? He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. It's like riot police, right? He runs down, and when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul and went like this. We weren't doing anything. What? Gosh. Now, what's the tribune going to do? He's got a big angry crowd out here. He doesn't want to necessarily turn against them. So they grab him and say, okay, we're going to arrest this guy, this really bad dude. Yeah, we're with you. What did you do? <laughs> they take him into the barracks. And you know what they ask him? They ask him a really strange question. They're like, are you that Egyptian dude who had those 4,000 assassins? <laughs> they think this is a real story in here. In fact, I really want to know more about this story. Apparently there had been some, uh, some event, some battle and there, this guy, this Egyptian dude who had an army of 4,000 assassins, whatever that actually looks like, had done something in Rome. And now they're after him, and they think this is Paul. <laughs> Paul's like, what? Come now? No. What are you talking about? No, I'm, a, I'm literally a preacher. I'm like the most boring guy on the planet. That sounds awesome, but no. So they, they're trying to get, they're trying to interrogate him, okay? But they're having trouble. The, the tribune came and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired, um, I just lost my place. Two he inquired who he was and what he had done. And some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks. And, and when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob and the people were crying out, away with him. Away with him. They literally had to pick Paul up, probably get in some sort of formation, and carry him through the crowd because it was so dangerous. Pretty intense. So they're questioning him. And finally, uh, Paul says, listen, uh, I, I, can, I talk to, can I talk to my people in our own language? And he steps up, and they take him, and they put him on the steps, and they're probably guarding him at this point from the crowd. But the crowd falls silent because here's this man, and now he's going to speak. Really intense moment. Thousands of people that are trying to kill him, and he's looking at them going, hi. How you doing? He's like, well, glad you're all here this morning. Let's open, our, let's open our scrolls to Deuteronomy. No, he's not. He's, he, how would you face that? Here's how he begins it. Watch this. This is really something. He says uh, in 22 verse 3, I am a Jew. I'm one of you. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. You see what he's doing there? Hey, what, how gracious is Paul? They're trying to tear him limb from limb. And what does he say? He says, guys, I get it. I know you care a lot about obedience to God. That's how, that's, I know you care a lot about that. You're zealous He's saying, man, I get that. I, I know that kind of zeal. And he starts to tell his story about having 
enough zeal that actually he was a persecutor of the church in order to, to keep religion undefiled. And he, he, he starts telling him the whole story about how Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And how he, he had his life totally turned around. And then he tells him about how he went to Jerusalem. And, and he wanted to, to stay there, but there had been a plot on his life. And so Jesus spoke to him to leave. And here's, he gets to this part in verse 21. And he, being God, said to me, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And when he says those words, everything just, the riot commences. The riot commences. They stop listening. They start crying out for his blood. The Romans have to pull him back inside or else he will be killed. Because the city is melting down for this guy. And that's as far as we're going to go in the story today. But I want to I think about this, about how Paul reacted here. I want to think about his sermon. You know what strikes me the most? What strikes me the most about this passage is the false accusations. Because he's been misunderstood, he's been mischaracterized, he's been lied about. All these things, the bloggers, the news personalities, the push notifications, all of these are coming through throughout the city. People still don't understand what Paul is really about, but the lies keep coming. They hate him, but none of them has the picture. And I was thinking, there's, I don't know that there's anything more exhausting in this world than, than being falsely accused, you know? Being mis how, how exhausting is it to be misunderstood? When you have something deep in your heart, people just, they get the wrong idea. And like, no, nope. And you're like, no, you don't understand. Like your wheels are always grinding as you desperately want to, you're just, please see. And it's so hard to face someone who accuses you falsely of something and then also tries to kill you. That's extra hard. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about us as the church, you know, and how often that can happen in various contexts. How often we can be misunderstood and mischaracterized, you know. And you can see it in movies, you can see it on the news, you can read it in articles or social media. And the hard part is sometimes it's true, you know. Sometimes the accusations are dead on. And I think sometimes we're a little too defensive on that. And we just need to go, you're right, and, and learn how to say, I was wrong, and learn how to repent. But sometimes it's just bonkers, you know. I remember a couple months ago I told you about my mom, who has worked with uh, young, young mothers, uh, soon-to-be mothers, and for years, for decades. And talking about how much she loves these women and has poured herself out to so many of them. And, and I was thinking about how I have seen so many things come out lately, both from elected officials and from common citizens, just slandering people like my mom who work in these pregnancy centers. Or even locally at Dove Medical. And it's just not fair because I'm like, you, I don't think you have any idea. I'll tell you. 
these people that, that, that pour these, the, their, their lives out for these women, they're almost always volunteers. And, and, and they, 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 they're trying to meet all, the, like they're trying to be there to, to meet emotional needs, to meet physical needs, to, to help financially with these women, to give ultrasounds. They're trying to, 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 to meet them in all the different ways they can, a lot of times with education, a lot of times just with comfort, a lot of times with friendship, all of these things. And so it makes me upset when I hear people say things like, oh, these people that work at these centers, they're just a bunch of liars and they don't care about the mothers. They only want the kids to be born. Only I'm like, what are you talking about? You want to come meet my mom? Like, that's nonsense. And I was thinking how hard it is. That's exhausting and it makes me mad, you know. Being misunderstood, even or maybe especially on behalf of someone else, makes, makes me mad. And it's easy to get angry at a group of people who mischaracterize you. It's, the temptation is to turn around and to give it right back to them, you know, to, to get angry at them, to fight them, to resent them, to hold them in contempt. And that's frankly not a choice for you and I. That's not a choice for us. If we follow the way of Jesus, that's not a choice. That's what we say to our kids, right? That's not a choice. Thank you, Mama. What does Paul do in these situations? He doesn't hold them in contempt. He runs after them. And he desperately works for their redemption. Even in the midst of all the terrible stuff. He desperately works for their redemption. He wants to show them Jesus, in other words. And I think we have something to learn from him, you know. I remember years ago, there was a... There was a man who uh, was constantly, I mean constantly, um, running down, denigrating the people of his state, which was Oregon. <laughs> the people of Junction City, Eugene. And he was a Christian. But every time I would see his posts on social media, my heart would sink because I'm like, nobody who sees your posts feels the love of Jesus. And you don't, you don't act or sound like Jesus in any way. All you're doing is running these people down and you need to stop. Like I was, I was so irritated every time I saw it. But I didn't feel like I knew him well enough to be able to say something. And ultimately he ended up moving away. And guys, I was so grateful that he moved away. Not because it was irritating. But because I, I started thinking, I'm like, you know, if you don't love your community, you probably need to move. Like if you don't love the people in your community... You maybe should move. I'm really serious about I don't know. I'm not telling anybody to move. But you know what I mean? I, mean, I would prefer that you pray and ask God for a heart for your community. That's really what needs to happen. But if you just can't get away from me, like, these dumb people, then probably that's coming out in the way that you act, the way that you post, the way that you talk to people. And that's not good. That's contempt. That's holding people in contempt. When I look at Paul and when I look at the early church, here's what I see over and over again. They lived in a culture that's much more hostile to them and to the church than any of us experience today. Like 10 times as hostile. But time and again, you know what they do? They say, we love you anyway. Time and again. They, they, they go through persecution and, and they say, well... We still love you. In fact, jailer who just beat me within an inch of my life, 
I am going to sing songs of praise to God in the middle of the night, and then I'm not going to run because I don't want you to get hurt, actually, even though you're a terrible person and probably sanctioned all this stuff for me. I love you, and I want to see redemption for you and your household. So I'm not going to run away, Mr. Philippian Jailer. I'm going to be right here. And would you like to meet Jesus? What in the world? That is our call. Do you hear me? That is our call. It is to never hold our culture, our neighbors in contempt. Maybe they're wrong. They could be dead wrong on stuff. So? So? Sometimes they're right. Probably sometimes they're wrong. That's not the point. Were people right when they were crucifying Jesus? No. What did he call? What did he say? Father, forgive them. That is the example of Paul that I see over and over and over again. And I got to say, sometimes we talk about Paul, we just, you know, based on the epistles that he was some like stern guy all the time. I don't think he could have been that way at one-on-one. I don't think he could have been that way in person at all. Because time and again, he's showing grace and grace and grace. Hey guys, I know you're going to kill me, but I really want you to hear about Jesus. So, hey, get back here. But wait, he loves you all. Do you see that? What in the world? That is our privilege, to love like that. Is it painful? Yeah. Yeah. Does it always work? What do you mean, does it always work? Does it always make people do the right thing? Of course not. That's not the point. The point is it's the way of Jesus, and he loves them. And we're called to carry on that love. Do you see that? I was remembering a story of uh, uh, some missionaries back in the 1700s. In the early 1700s in Europe, there was this group of Moravian Christians in Herrenhut, Germany. They experienced this powerful revival, powerful revival. They had an unbroken prayer meeting 24-7 that lasted 100 years. You think that half an hour is hard to get through. 100 years, 24-7, they kept going in their community. It's incredible. And, 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 and it led to... Unbelievable international missions movement. It's the first of its kind, large-scale international missions movement. And they went all over the place, planting churches, running Christian communities, and it was a brilliant move of God. And there were two young men in 1732 that decided, they're like, I want to go to the island of St. Thomas in the Caribbean Sea. That raised eyebrows because that was, that was an island that was predominantly occupied by slaves. They wanted to go to the slave population there and show them the love of Jesus and live amongst them. And people said, there's no way that you can do that. And they said, fine, we'll sell ourselves into slavery. What? So they got on a boat in Europe all the way over to St. Thomas. Not knowing if they would ever see these people again. Because they wanted to love like Jesus. And for them, that meant giving up everything if necessary. And as that boat was pulling away from the shore, they turned. And they saw their community of Moravians. You know what they said? They cried out. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And that became the rallying cry of the, the Moravians after that day. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. 
They were willing to become slaves in order to reach the slaves. They were willing to be all things to all people. And guys, this, I think, is why he's called us to love. This is why we are to, to refuse to hold our neighbors in contempt, no matter how wrong you think they are. To refuse to hold them in contempt or to treat them as less than. It's why we don't have to get involved in that kind of stuff. Because Jesus died even for the people that you most disagree with. Jesus died for the people who are the, the most violent, the people who are the most wrong in your minds. He died for them too. And, and well, he, he, he died for people who are lying about you, who are mischaracterizing you or all of us. But he loves them every bit as much as he loves us. Can you imagine that? How great is his love that even when we were his enemies, he loved. So we labor on like Paul, guys. We love even when we're reviled. That's the way of Christ. To continue to pour out the affections of Jesus in order that they may see Christ. I know we've talked a lot about loving our neighbors and loving our enemies in this book. But if we're teaching the book, I can't get away from it. I can't believe how much it's in there, honestly. It's over and over and over that testimony. And we are simply the next chapter in the book of Acts. You guys know that, right? We're simply the next chapter. So let's, let's take hold of that birthright. That birthright which is to love even when we are reviled. That is, that is something that we can inherit from Paul and the disciples. To love even when we are reviled. Because that's not a natural thing. That only comes through the Holy Spirit, guys. It's not a natural thing. So to be able to take that and for there to never be a question. How neighbors, when they look at you, there's never a question of, do you actually love me? To love like Jesus. You guys want that? I'm going to tell you I want that because this is very, very hard for me. It's very, very hard. But I think good things are coming. I think good things are coming. Because as a wise man once put on a billboard years ago, God loves this city, and we do too. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.